Welcome to the LifePoint Church Podcast. Our mission is to help people become fully devoted followers of Christ through intentionally serving, giving, and caring for our neighbor. We bring you Christ-centered messages from our pastors each Sunday, as well as engaging discussions relevant to your life. So grab a cup of coffee, get comfortable, and join us as we strive to grow as followers of Christ and make a positive impact in our community. Good morning. Good morning. How are we doing? Anybody uh, start the fasting this last week? Anybody give it a shot? All right, there's a smattering of hands and there was great rejoicing. How'd it go? Was it wonderful? Did you get hangry? Did you give up like at 2 p.m. and be like, ah, I'll fast tomorrow? Well, whatever you did, another week is set before us to give it a go and to say, Lord, take this area of my life. So we started this series last week, and we'll be going through to the 28th, and it is Disciples Ask, Seek, and Knock, based off of Matthew 7, 7, and we'll read that here in a second. And so this morning, we're going to be looking at fasting and asking. What does it mean to ask, right? And so I wanted to open up with something that maybe is a little bit different, but whenever we pray this morning, and we've prayed at least twice... Uh, from the stage. How did we close those prayers? In Jesus' name, right? In Jesus' name. Have you ever wondered why Christians close their prayers always in Jesus' name? It says to. In fact, Jesus himself said to in John 16, if you have a Bible, please open it up. If you don't, there should be one underneath the seat in front of you. If there's not, just awkwardly scoot forward to the person in front of you and just peek over. They won't mind. It's a great way to get to know someone. John 16, 22 through 28. Jesus has been describing to his disciples that a time of grief is coming, that a time that he will have to leave them is coming, the cross and death and resurrection. But after the resurrection, there's going to be a time of great joy. And that's where we pick it up, okay? Now is your time of grief, but I will see you again and you will rejoice and no one will take away your joy. In that day, you will no longer ask me anything. Very truly, I tell you, my father will give you whatever you ask in my name. Until now, you have not asked for anything in my name. Ask and you will receive and your joy will be complete. Though I have been speaking figuratively, a time is coming when I will no longer use this kind of language, but will tell you plainly about my Father. In that day you will ask in my name. I'm not saying that you will ask, that I will ask the Father on your behalf. No, the Father himself loves you because you have loved me and have believed that I came from God. I came from the Father and entered the world. Now I am leaving the world and going back to the Father. So, this is where we see Jesus say, going forward, when you pray to what the Jewish people would have known as, as Yahweh, you will pray in my name. And he clarifies that I'm not this sort of intermediary where you pray to me and then I'll take it to the Father. He's saying what I'm going to do is going to give you access to speak directly to the Father. Okay? And so... This section of scripture is slightly confusing, and I, I always think I, I want to better explain it. And I was looking through commentaries, and as much as Matthew Henry can be difficult to read sometimes, I thought his explanation was the best. Because up at the beginning of what we read, it says in verse 23, there is a day that you will no longer ask me anything. 
And then the very next sentence is, very truly, I tell you, my father will give you whatever you ask in my name. I thought we weren't going to ask you anything. What does that mean? This is what Henry says. He says, by way of inquiry, they should not need to ask. In that day, you shall ask me nothing. You shall have such a clear knowledge of gospel mysteries by the opening of your understanding that you will not need to inquire and that you shall have more knowledge on a sudden than previously you had by diligent attendance. So what Henry's saying is you won't need to worry that all of a sudden because you have been following Christ and walking with him, you, you'll need answers. You're going to be gifted answers. This is what Jesus is saying. It says, they had, Henry says, they had some ignorant questions, we can see in John 9, 2, some ambitious questions, which shows in Matthew 18, 1, when they ask who will sit at your right hand, some distrustful questions, Matthew 19, 27, some impertinent questions, John 21, 21, and some curious questions, Acts 1, 6. But after the Spirit was poured out, Nothing of all of this. If you look at the Acts of the Apostles, right, the book of Acts, we seldom find them asking questions as David asked, shall I do this or shall I go there? For they were constantly under a divine guidance. What Henry is speaking of is he is explaining the words of Christ here. And it's so fascinating because if you do read either Paul's letters or read of the disciples and what they do, they're no longer asking questions. When is this going to happen? What does that mean? What are you doing here? Can I sit at your right hand? Can we do this? What will happen? Did Adam and Eve have belly buttons, right? They've moved on to more serious things. We don't see them asking questions anymore. That when the Holy Spirit comes upon them at Pentecost, they have a new authority. They go out into the world in this authority and they preach Christ and Christ alone. And what happens? They change the world. They're no longer concerned about the things of this world. They're no longer concerned about these questions that filled their mind as they walked with Christ in his three years of ministry. There's a divine guidance that they are under. And that is what Matthew 6, I mean, John 16, that's what uh, the disciple John was saying is that as Jesus spoke to them, he said, there is going to come a time when these aren't the questions you're asking me. You're going to be addressing the Father directly. I am, it's through me and what I am going to impart to you. My righteousness, because of the work of the cross, will give you access to the Father. That's a lot to, short of, to sort of share with people, right? It's a lot to try to explain to them. So, uh, this week, well, first let's look at Matthew 7, 7. This is our theme verse. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. Right? That's what we're focusing on this fasting, fasting. <laughs> fasting season is to ask, to seek, and to knock. It's funny how I, am, I feel led to read certain books at certain times. I got this book uh, in August of last year called Atomic Habits by James Clear. And by got it, I mean stole it from Tim. And uh, here it is, Tim, <laughs> if you were looking for it. Uh, no, he kind of, he gave it to me when I said, give me that book. He gave it to me. He was very kind and gracious, as he always is. And I really wanted to read it. We, he spoke at the leadership conference, and I loved what he had to say. And I've, I'm usually always reading something else. And when I know that it's the Lord is when I'm reading something else, and I see it, and God's, I just feel like God's like, no, you need to read that right now. 
And so I'll put down whatever else I'm reading, started reading this, and it was so clear what God was showing me as I was asking him, what do you want me to talk about on the ask, seek, knock? And what this book is all about is our habits, how to create new healthy habits, how to break old habits. Does anybody have any unhealthy habits? Let me just get a post, a feel for the room. Okay, there's a couple of hands. If you're watching online, there was three hands. <laughs> right? We all have these unhealthy habits. I, I wanted to give you some examples from me personally, but it was hard to find any. So <laughs> my wife, my wife chews her fingernails. I know. I know, babe. I'm sorry. Here's the thing, though. That's it. That's like her only unhealthy habit and Dr. Pepper, but that's it. And so whenever one of my plethora of unhealthy habits show up, like got into a new hobby, needed to buy the stuff for that hobby, got into another new hobby before I finished this hobby, um, didn't put my clothes away, threw them near the hamper, but not in the hamper. The dishes are near the sink, but not in the dishwasher. Um, was I supposed to put that in my calendar? Oh, it's our children's graduation, so that's something I should pay attention to. <laughs> Whenever that comes up, I remind her, but you drink Dr. Pepper. <laughs> Don't forget, we both start working on stuff in our life. Man, I have a terrible habit of my calendar. I, I hate putting stuff in it. And I thought, you know, we'll just do it digitally. We'll just, literally, you could speak into your phone and it goes straight into your calendar. And you think I would do it by now, but I didn't. In fact, it's so bad, I had a meeting with the chairman of our elder board, Mark, and uh, I missed it. And we were supposed to meet at Biscuits Cafe, right? And I missed it, and I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm so sorry. He's very gracious, we'll reschedule. So I made a commitment. I'm going to check my calendar, and I'm I can't miss a meeting with the chairman of our board, right? That's a quick way to get sent out and excommunicated down to Coolidge. And so, um, <laughs> love Coolidge. And so, I, I decide I'm going to be very di diligent. And so the night before, I see meeting with Mark DeSalvo. And I'm like, oh, sweet. I forgot, but there it is in my calendar. And I showed up to Biscuits, and there was Mark waiting for me. Nope, he was meeting with Pastor Tim. You see, our Google calendars are all shared. And so I went to Tim and Mark's meeting, but not my meeting. They were very gracious, and I got another free meal. And so it worked, it worked out. What is a habit? It is a routine or behavior that is performed regularly, and in many cases, automatically. All of you are breathing and not thinking about it. Breathing is sort of a habit for us as human beings, isn't it? It's a habit. There are things that we do regularly and the things that we do automatically. And uh, Kevin had just mentioned about resolutions or goals, right? And we, how, how long can you go into the new year, break your goals? One of the number one resolutions is I'm gonna eat better and work out, which is why I have avoided the gym in pro protest against that goal for the first couple weeks of the year as they are usually crazy. But this is what he says in this book that I begin to see, and, and here's the crazy thing, James is not a professing Christian. It's, this isn't a Christian book. This is a, from a scientific viewpoint on habits and human study and human nature. This is what he says. Goals are about results you want to achieve, right? Systems are about the processes that lead to those results. Identity is about what you believe. Now, 
he opens up the book and talks about goals and says goals are great and we need to have goals, right? I want to lose 30 pounds. I want to be making this much by this age. I want to be able to do this to the house by this date. We have all these goals and those are wonderful. But if you don't have processes to get to those goals, they just stay that. They just stay goals. You're never going to get them done because you're just going to keep doing the same processes you are doing, which didn't get you to your goal. And so he spends this whole section talking about processes and goals. And it was an incredible, it was like, for, for, for that part, it was like, yeah, I know all that. I know that. Processes, goals, I need to be better about processes. But then he got to this, that third part, identity. And then that's when I felt like God's spirit in my life was just like, do you see the picture now, you bonehead? He gives this illustration of the book. Two smokers resisting a cigarette. One says, no thanks, I'm trying to quit. The other says, no thanks, I'm not a smoker. It's a very small difference, but did you hear it? One has already assumed the identity of a non-smoker. And it got me thinking about the Christian walk, wouldn't you know? And it got me thinking about people who say, I am a Christian. And then it got me thinking about people who say, I wish I could be better at. I want a better prayer life. I wish I would have fasted last week. I wish I would have written in a devotional. I wish I would have gone to church. I wish I would have done this. I wish, I wish, I wish. And what I begin to think is the reason that we Christians study with the habits that God commanded us to do, like love your neighbor, is because we're operating under an old identity. You've got the processes down, you've got the right goals, but as you'll see here, one of the things he says is that behavior that is incongruent with the self will not last. If you do not change your identity, then it doesn't matter how noble your goals are or how competent your systems are, you're gonna fail. And that stinks, right? Because we don't wanna change our identity, just get a personal trainer. You could literally pay people to motivate you. And they're beautiful people with bodies that you're trying to get. So you're like, maybe if I give them money, they'll give me the body. <laughs> I think that's how personal training works. I'm not fully certain. But the fact of the matter is, if you don't change the mindset as somebody who is fit, as somebody who wants to be healthy, and this is who I am, not what I'm going to be, then you will not get there. Even with the best trainers, you won't get there. And then he says this, Good habits can make rational sense, but if they conflict with your identity, you will fail to put them into action. And man, that got me thinking when I read that, how many times from this stage I have said, it's not that Jesus and an eternal God who created the world doesn't make sense. It's that it doesn't align with our identity. It's not that it doesn't make sense. We're willing to believe something that makes no sense because it aligns with our identity. And that identity is that I am in control, I am God, I am the one who, is, who controls the fate of my destiny. What is true fasting and why are we doing it? 
Fasting is me laying down my identity and my needs and my physical wants in order to grow spiritually. That's what fasting is. This is why it's food and not anything else, because food is a necessity to live. And for us here in America, it's a necessity every few hours because it's so available, so prevalent, your body craves it. Why? Because you've developed habits of giving it food every few hours. Not only that, we've developed habits of giving it food that aren't good for it, and so it craves more of that food. If all you ate was kale, yuck, but it fills you up and it's got good stuff in it for you and all of that, you're fuller longer, you don't need to eat as much. And so we have these habits, and what fasting does for us, as it did for Jesus and his disciples, is it takes our focus off of the material things of this world and reminds us you're not a husband, you're not just a wife, you're not just a father, just a child, just an owner, just an employee, just a neighbor. You first and foremost are a child of God. Everything else comes after that. And what fasting does is it takes away our reliance on the sustenance that food gives us and it forces us to turn to the Lord and say, oh God, help me. Help me with this identity. Because without it, you are always going to be following processes and goals that continually fell and wondering, why don't I hear God? Why don't I feel his presence? Other people talk about getting words of knowledge and and healing people on the spot, and, and I'm sitting here and I don't even feel a connection when I read the Bible. What's going on? I wanna tell you this morning that a big part of what's going on in your life is that you came to the Lord, you said the prayer, you gave him your life, you even said, be Lord of my life, but you never let go of your old identity. You're still operating out of it. Same way you do with smoking or trying to give up alcohol or trying to get fit or trying to play a new instrument or any instrument at all. If you don't take on the identity of the thing that you are going for and you remain in the identity of what you were, you will not change. And what the book is about as it establishes these facts is that change doesn't have to come in big major leaps of change. It comes in small 1% increments that you begin to look back on over your life and you see the bigger change. There were two people in scripture that had identities that God, that Jesus himself points out, Martha and Mary. If you wanna turn your Bible to Luke chapter 10, you can. We're gonna be in Luke chapter 10, starting in verse 38. And what we have here is Jesus and his whole crew, his homies, they pull up to Martha's house this is Martha's house. I want to set this up for you to understand that in this day and age, when it denotes in the scriptures that this is Martha's home, normally if Martha opened the door and opened it up to them, it would have been the name of her husband's home. So when it says that this is Martha's home, this is her home, meaning she is a go-getter. She's an intelligent woman. She's probably got money. And so she shares it with her sister Mary and their brother, anybody? Lazarus, yes. All right? And so what I want you to see here when I talk about identity is to incorporate the identity as a child of God does not mean that every other identity that you look at, husband, wife, hard worker, servant, whatever it is, whatever you look at and say, I, I, I don't want to be on the stage. I'd rather be in the background serving. 
Those are all wonderful identities, but it's which one is priority. And that's what Jesus is going to teach here in this short section of Luke chapter 10. As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do all the work? Tell her to help me. There is so much going on here that I have to unpack for you. First and foremost, she went to the Lord and said, hey, hey, buddy, wake up. Don't you see what's going on? I'm sitting here doing all the work and getting all the chafing dishes and everything and the drinks and all that and all your friends' feet are muddy and disgusting and I'm having to clean it up. And Mary is just sitting there. So you know what I'd like you to do, buddy? (laughs) Tell her to come and help me. Oh my gosh, right? Like... Ananias and Sapphira got killed on the spot for taking a few extra pieces of gold they weren't supposed to. You just looked at God Almighty and demanded he tell your sibling to get to work. (laughs) It's actually really important that Luke included that, and I'm going to show you here as we go, but I just, I really want you to see that, (laughs) that this is not a meek, mild woman. This is, this kind of woman in our country most likely comes from New York, right? (laughs) Vanessa, right? Yeah. Just bam, in your face, gets things done, right? Like this is a strong, strong willed, good for her, go get them. Jesus' response, Martha, Martha, you are worried and upset by many things, but only one thing is needed. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. So it's very important in scriptures to understand that what is included in the scriptures is a very small sampling of what Christ did, right? I believe it's the disciple John at the end of his book who says these are the stories and the accounts of Christ. This is not everything he did, for the world could not hold all the books of everything he did in his time here. So with what is included and what the Spirit led these men to include in the Gospels, the order it goes in is very important too. There's intentionality to the order. So we go straight from this story. Remember, Luke was not there. Luke is a doctor who is documenting everything that has happened, went to all the eyewitnesses, and put this together. And so we go straight from chapter 10, where Jesus has just told Martha, calm down, Mary has an identity that is better and I won't take it away from her. And we go right into Luke chapter one. It says this. One day Jesus was praying in a certain place. When he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray just as John taught his disciples. So he said to them, now this is a more concise version than what Matthew gives us. Remember though, Matthew was there, right? Matthew was there when Jesus would have spoke these words. Luke is giving an account from eyewitnesses. When you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, give us each day our daily bread, forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who sins against us and lead us not into temptation. That's all of Luke's, that's where Luke's ends. Then Christ said to them, suppose one of you has a friend and he goes to him at midnight and says, friend, lend me three loaves of bread because a friend of mine on a journey has come to me and I have nothing to set before him. Then 
The one inside answers, don't bother me. The door is already locked. My children are with me in bed and can't get up and give you anything. I tell you, though, he will not get up and give him the bread because he's his friend. Yet, because of the man's boldness, he will get up and give him as much as he needs. So I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Didn't we just read these words? Seek and you shall find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. He who seeks finds. And to him who knocks, the door will be opened to you. Which of your fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Everything hinges on what I just read, that last two lines. What is it that Jesus is going to give us? His Holy Spirit. What is it that the Father wants to give us above everything else? His Holy Spirit. Now watch this. This is so cool. Okay, so we go back up. Jesus gives the prayer. We know the prayer. We know the importance of it. Father, hallowed be your name. Hallowed be your kingdom. I humble myself. I submit myself to your ways. Let your identity be my primary identity. Okay? Next thing, daily bread. All right, Lord, I got to eat. Would you supply my daily bread for me so I can eat? Now, Jesus goes straight from this. I mean, I'm sorry. Luke, as he's telling this, led by the Holy Spirit, goes straight from that prayer into this parable that Jesus spoke, right? Now, it's not this way in Matthew. So Luke is combining this to teach us something very important about asking. And he gives this analogy of a man who goes over to his buddy's house because someone has shown up to his house and he has nothing to give him. He's like, I know Jerry. Jerry's always got bread. I'm going to go to Jerry's. He knocks on the door. He says, Jerry, I need bread. Jerry's like, shut up. It's midnight. What are you doing? Go away. I'll give you bread in the morning. Jerry, I need bread. That is God Almighty's parable to how we are to ask, to be persistent, to be annoying. And it got me thinking, when my children want something, they are both persistent and annoying sometimes. And they aren't that way with everybody else, right? You tell my kid no, and he's going to be like, oh, okay. That person's scary. But I tell them no, and it's just a challenge. Well, all right, I didn't present it well. Allow me to represent it. Right? Because they have relationship with me and my wife. And so they come to us boldly. They don't care that it makes them look weak or poor or embarrassed that they don't have what it takes to get the thing they need. I'll just ask mom or dad. Think about what he's saying here. It's so good. He's saying, as he gives this story, that the friend does not give the food up because that person is their friend, but because they were bold and they are not going to go away. And so in order to get them to go away, they will 
give them the bread. I'll tell you what, you show up at my house at midnight, you better make sure that you're in it for the long haul because I am ready to put earplugs in and ignore you the rest of the evening. Not true, actually. We actually had a person one time show up to our house at 1 a.m. on a Saturday night, knocking on the door. Turned out they had drank too much, got lost in a neighborhood that was three miles north of where they live, randomly came up to our house and started knocking on the door. I got up, and because she did not go away, I kid you not, because she did not go away, I got up, answered the door, was a little bit like, well, what's going to happen here? Came to find out the situation, was able to call an Uber, have the Uber driver give her a ride home, and Bob's your uncle, and it turned out to be a really neat thing, prayed with her and all of that. So because of her persistence, she was able to have her needs met. Now, he goes on, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? As we ask the Lord for all sorts of things every single day, for money, for health, for jobs, for security, for grace, forgiveness, patience, the Lord said, don't you understand that everything you just asked for comes through my Holy Spirit? How many of you are asking for his Holy Spirit? We, we, we can understand God the Father. We can understand this eternal being that created everything, eternal wisdom and presence and all of that. And we get Jesus the Son because every recording of him was he was patient and kind and loved the unlovely and forgave those who hated him, right? And so we as people, believers and unbelievers alike, we get Jesus. He's a cool dude. Uh, the Holy Spirit, that's freaky, and we've seen people misuse and abuse the Holy Spirit. And we've seen charlatan and wolves come into the church and lead others astray through the Holy Spirit. So look at this tactic of the devil. I'm going to take the gift, the very power by which God intends to give his children good things, and I'm going to make them so afraid of it, so disillusioned by the Holy Spirit, they won't even ask for it. In fact, most Protestant churches in America won't even talk about it. When it comes to the gifts of the Spirit, we've gotten most of them to believe those have seceded. And he doesn't even work that way anymore. We'll get them to ask and pray for things like patience and help and can I get this, when the whole time Jesus said, don't you understand? What are the examples Jesus gave? If he asks for an egg, he's not going to give him a scorpion. If he asks for a fish, he's not going to give him a steak. Those are sustenance. Those are things to live. Those are things to survive. What Jesus is saying is if you need things to survive, your Father is ready to give them through his Holy Spirit. So how can you expect to get the things from God that he has to give for you when you deny his Spirit? Because we're afraid that the Spirit is going to make us uncomfortable. The worst spot you get in sharing Jesus is you tell people about a guy who really loves them and died for them. Everyone loves that. I mean, he loved the prostitute and the tax collector and the murderer. He loved those people, and we can relate with that. But then you start to talk about the Holy Spirit and we're talking about a supernatural power. It's how God has his spirit. We are the temple of his spirit. What used to reside in a sacred place 
is now carried around to those who call him Lord. So if you do not have the identity as a child of God and are trying to ask God for things in the name of Jesus, but denying the work and the power of his spirit, do you see what you're doing? We're ineffective. We're ineffective because we refuse to receive the gift that has been given to us. Many of us refuse to ask for the Holy Spirit. In fact, I know friends whom I love and brothers who say, it's not something you ask for, you just get it when you're saved. So this whole thing of singing songs like, come Holy Spirit, it's blasphemy and it's ridiculous, you don't need to do it. Jesus said to ask for him. Is he wrong? I'm sorry, I got, I'm just so tired of that. Ask for the Spirit. He will make you uncomfortable. He will cause you to be embarrassed. You will fear, feel fear. But at the same time, He will bring the comfort and the knowledge and the patience and the security and everything else. The joy that you're looking for comes through the Spirit. And we pray for it in the name of Jesus to the Father. Church, we cannot ignore the Spirit when we are asking for things. We cannot be afraid of what the Spirit might do or how He might lead us to pray for healing over somebody. Right? I'm going to close with this story from the book because the last thing here is honestly one of the most important things about habits. In order to get a new habit to become uh, a part of your character and who you are and your identity, and in order to get bad habits to go, starts with this concept. He gives the illustration of an ice cube sitting in a controlled environment that's 25 degrees, and you turn the temperature up one degree. Does anything change in the ice cube? No. If you turn it up two more degrees to 28, does anything change? Does it start to melt or evaporate? No. What about 29 or 30 or even 31? Nothing changes. And so he calls this the plateau of latent potential. When we find ourselves struggling to build good habits or break bad ones, it's not because we've lost our ability to improve or our systems are failed. It's because we've reached the place where we feel like it's not working anymore. And what he says is you have to break past that plateau and you have to keep going. Breakthrough moments are often the result of many previous actions which build up the potential required to unleash major change. And a direct quote from the book is, complaining about not achieving success despite working hard, okay, is like complaining about an ice cube not melting when you heat it from 25 to 31 degrees. Guys, the success the patience, the understanding for a situation that you've been seeking God on, it might just be one more prayer away. It might just be one more time of sitting down with a mentor and sharing what's going on in your heart away. And if you're wondering if that's a biblical principle, I'm glad you wondered that. If you're wondering if, I am, if I'm not just taking stuff from a secular book and trying to apply it, there's a story about a man named Naaman in the Old Testament. And in fact, there's a preacher named Michael Todd 
who recently spoke on this and it's made the rounds on social media and what it showed me is I need to up my illustration game. If you have seen the video, you'll know what I'm talking about. But on preaching on Naaman, he gives the background and the story that Naaman is a very wealthy man, a very prominent man who gets leprosy. And so he uses every resource he has to try to find somebody and even goes to the king and says, King, I hear you have healers. Bring me someone who can cure my leprosy. In fact, he's such an important individual, this Naaman, that the king tears his clothes and weeps and says, what am I supposed to do? Elijah hears about this. Remember the prophet Elisha? And he comes to him and he says, what's his instruction? Dip in the Jordan seven times and you will be healed. Does Naaman say, yes, all right, it worked. All the money in the world and I did it. Sweet. No, it says he goes away sad. He wants no part of that. The Jordan's filthy, it's disgusting. There's such nicer rivers he could go dip in. And so his old identity is keeping him from the healing that he's looking for. He just got the answer to cure him. But he refuses to sink to that level, to go and bathe in the dirty Jordan River. And he is fortunate that he had servants who either loved him or feared that if he died of the leprosy, they wouldn't have a job anymore. Because the Bible says Naaman's servants reminded him of his prejudice and that if Elisha would have asked him to do something great, something big and really magnificent, that he would have done it. And he says, just because he asked you to do something meager and something humble, you're allowing that to affect your decision. And so at this point, Michael Todd gets on the stage, and you know how we have the horse trough for our baptisms? He gets on, have you seen this? In his full suit and dunks himself in the thing one time, two times, three times, and then goes on to teach the concept of the plateau of latent potential. What if Naaman would have stopped at the third one and said, this is ridiculous? What if he would have stopped at the fourth or the fifth one and said, oh, come on, nothing is happening. I'm not even seeing one spot leave yet. But on that seventh one, he comes out of the water and the scripture says his skin was like that of a brand new baby boy. This isn't a formula, friends. This isn't a prescription to how to get God to do what you want. This is you understanding that God is in this for the long haul with you. And that when you ask for something, if you haven't received his spirit and are asking in line of an identity that the most important identity to you is like Mary, that you are his child, his son or his daughter, that you wear, you, it says his robe of righteousness is placed on us. You wear his righteousness. If that identity is still something that escapes you, you need the Holy Spirit today. You need to say, Lord, I am struggling with identity. I keep setting up all of these processes and goals to read my Bible more or be more faithful at the church or serve or give more money. And I always fail. I always fail and I don't know why. You fail because your identity hasn't changed. That's why. When your identity catches up to your process and your goals, you're going to see victory in all of these areas of your life that you have been struggling in. This isn't a health or wealth, this is just gospel message. Listen, for over two decades in ministry, I can tell you I have never prayed over somebody and personally seen a miraculous healing happen right in front of me. 
And there have been times over the last few years that that's made me want to stop. In fact, I've even told myself, I just don't have the gift of healing. I shouldn't be praying for that. And that's the lie the enemy wants every single one of us to believe. You know what? You haven't seen any victory. You ought to just stop. Because as soon as he can get the church to stop working and acting through the Holy Spirit, he kills the church. And he has a bunch of dead people who show up to a building, they give their money, they feel good by what's said, and then they get the heck out of there. But what the devil fears is a church of people who are identified as sons of daughters of Christ, filled with the Holy Spirit, who keep on going, right? Come on. I hope this encourages you. I hope this fills you with life to know. And so I, was, I, I, I had to feel the conviction of the Lord and repent of that. And last week, I prayed for somebody to be healed of cancer right in front of me. And I'm like, God, you haven't done it yet. But if I stop now, I'm going to miss that seventh time. I'm going to miss that next time you ask me to pray for somebody. You ask me to step out in faith. You ask me to give a word of knowledge where I'm like, this is going to be embarrassing if this is wrong. God says, don't worry about that. You asked. You asked for a fish. You asked for an egg. Come on, go do it. Let's pray. Heavenly Father. God, may your church this morning here at LifePoint just fill us with your spirit, Lord. Right now, for all who would ask, ask right now. Fill me with your spirit, Lord. Lord, I strike down fear in the name of Jesus. We rebuke it. No, not in this place. We will not be afraid of the things that will come through your Holy Spirit. Lord, for those in here who are seeking you, who haven't given you their identity, who don't identify as a child of God or as a righteous person, who don't identify as someone who was worth him dying for, your spirit right now, Lord, wherever they're sitting, move on their heart right now. In Jesus' name, move, Jesus. You love your children. You love us so much. In Jesus' name, amen.